Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling and candidate Q&A so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 406 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Whatever form it eventually takes, it's very clear that remote working is here to stay. In the previous episode of the show, we explored the challenges and opportunities of building a global remote team. In this episode, I wanted to get the hands-on perspective from someone who's built a highly successful remote-first company. Everett Harper is the CEO of Truss, a software engineering business that has been fully remote for 10 years. In our conversation, Everett shares myriad insights on hiring, communication, retention, culture and diversity, which will be of enormous value to everyone who's listening. Hi, Everett, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here and thanks for uh, inviting me and I'm really looking forward to talking uh, virtually to your audience. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure. My name is Everett Harper. I am the co-founder and CEO of a human-centered software company called Truss. We are a company that works with public agencies and with Fortune 500 companies to help them transform their uh, technolo- technological systems to fix really complex problems. Uh, one of the things that put us on the map was helping to fix healthcare.gov, for example. And we work with a lot of other companies to do similar types of works in different industries. It sounds like you've got a very, very interesting business and there, there are lots of very interesting aspects to it. But wh- one thing that has really stood out in terms of what we're going to talk about today is the fact that, that your business is 100% remote, isn't it? That's correct. We'll talk a little bit more about how everything is changing and how everyone's having to adapt to the, to the new circumstances we all find ourselves in. But give us a little bit of the history about how you built a remote company. Sure. Um So I think the core of it is we were trying to solve a problem. When we founded the company, we invited our third co-founders, myself, um, Mark uh, Ferlat, and Jen Leach. And when we invited Jen to be a third co-founder, she replied saying, yeah, that sounds great, except my spouse just won a fellowship and we're going to be gone in Europe for the next 18 months. Can we make that work? Not exactly the the answer we expected. However, what we shared was we worked at a company called Second uh, Linden Lab, which made Second Life. It was a virtual world in the uh, mid-2000s. And so we had the experience of working in a virtual environment 
And we'd all had teams that were spread around the globe. So we really came down to a very simple proposition. If she can get connectivity and we can make our work transparent to each other and we make sure to uh, say what we're going to do, a matter of integrity, let's figure it out. Let's do it. And that was really the start. And then we built systems to support that. And we've kept scaling and scaling. And now we're 100 and almost 40 people. And the system really works well. Tell us a little bit about what the implications are around working like that. So how do you build culture? How do you maintain and measure productivity within the team? I think it's something that for, for, for a company that's been remote for so long, there are obviously lots of learnings that, that companies who are who are now on that remote journey could take from it. So I think it'd be really interesting to know, know a little bit more about it. Sure. Um, I think the core message is focus on connection. Even if you're starting remote or you're hybrid and making that shift or you're going um, from an office to uh, some sort of system, connection, human connection is really important. And building systems to support that uh, is also pretty critical. Um, so we use Slack, for example, and we have different channels. And these channels are work channels, but they're also social channels. So there's a book channel, there's a pets channel, there's a um, regional channel for people who live in similar regions. And all of those things serve to create um, conversations around topics that make people feel more than just two-dimensional objects on a Zoom call, but real people engaging in real lives. That's an example of one of the many things that we do. I think the other thing that we we focus on um, with regard to kind of remote uh, or distributed work is from a cultural perspective, there's lots of other things that we, I'm sure we'll talk about, but from a cultural perspective is really respecting that the work day has its limits. And we've seen with the pandemic that people start to work above and beyond and the, the natural barriers of, oh, I got to catch a train to go home or I got to beat the traffic. Um, those things are gone. And so we see that people were expanding their work hours. We made a concerted effort to stay within those work hours and repeat that message. So as a CEO, one of my jobs is to repeat messages and really kind of create that environment and lead in that, in that way. And I think there's a lot of habit around working longer, but we also know from research that there's a limitation to effective and high quality work and in the number of hours. It's roughly between 40 and 50, I believe is the, is uh, what some of the research shows. So those sorts of initiatives, I mean, there's many, those are two that I'm thinking about from a cultural perspective. I think what's interesting about that is as lots of employers have had to adapt to remote working over the last two years, it, it seems that, that many companies have struggled to move away from this sense of presenteeism, that, that people have to be online, they have to be, um, they have to be observed, they have to be, they have to be kind of working all the time. As a remote company, w what's your sort of view on that? How has what you, what 
you do kind of evolved and how do you look at things like productivity? Sure. Um, this is a great topic. Um, so I remember coming into uh, my first job in the late 80s and there's a thing called FaceTime. And FaceTime was making sure that you came to the office at a particular time to uh, make sure that your boss saw you either working late or working early. It didn't matter whether the work was good. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you were effective. It mattered whether you were seen to be a hard worker. Now, a lot of that shifted, but there's still a lot of that dynamic. What remote and hybrid and distributed work does is expose the fallacy that FaceTime matters. And instead, challenges people to say, what actually is productivity at our business? It's not the amount of time that you are on screen. It's not the amount of time that you're logging or that you're tracking your computers. There are very few things that kind of operate in that way, particularly if you're doing knowledge work. So I don't think there's a direct answer. It's a direct challenge to um, leaders and to, you know, uh, you know, development professionals to say, well, what is it in our business? What is a, what is a core member of our team need to demonstrate and how do we make that evident so that we know that that person is doing great work and how do we then take that example and make sure other people can see it and follow. One of the other things about your business is the amount of diversity that you have in, in your workforce, particularly for a technology company. Is being a remote business something that, that's driven that? Or what is it that you do as an organization to make, to make sure that you've got such a diverse workforce? Well, first of all, as a African-American CEO, my co-founder, Jen, is a white woman, technical leader. My other co-founder is a white male, a technical leader, uh, Mark Furlot. So right from jump, we are a diverse team. The second thing we did, and I forgot to mention this when it comes to culture, we set down a set of values and practices from our early days. And one of those was around diversity. And we connected it to the quality of our business. Those two things were some of the better decisions we made as a, as a business. We made plenty of mistakes, but that was a really good one. And what it did was say, if we're committed to having a diverse workforce, because we know it will make for better products, it will for make for better um, decision-making, it will lead to better outcomes, then we have to figure out how to overcome the obstacles to getting that team that is diverse. From a remote perspective, that was an advantage. We, or I'm from Oakland, California. Um, it is diverse in some ways, but for African-Americans, it's not. However, if you go to Atlanta, New York, Chicago, and the same is repeated for other uh, ethnicities, you will find different networks. Being remote enabled us to engage with those different local networks and bring in much more diverse talent than many of the other companies in our industry. So, for example, we have 53% she, her identifying folks at a technology company. That's incredibly rare. Similarly, when you add up African-American, Latino, Latinx, Latina, uh, Asian Pacific, 
and Middle Eastern MENA, we have 35% of our workforce that it comes from those groups collectively. A lot of that is because we can recruit in different places. So I strongly encourage folks to say, oh, wait, this is an opportunity to engage people where they live and be able to reach in and get a more diverse workforce. And what advantages has that brought you as a business? Well, first of all, um, we have incredible talent um, because we know that, um, and that means if we have incredible talent, we can deliver on solving solving problems. Second, there's tons of research about uh, problem solving that a more diverse group of people trying to solve problems means much better uh, decisions, means much better outcomes, means much better um, solutions. Um, There's tons of research on that. Um, And so when we approach some of our clients, we can come up with a wider range of options and a better solution to their challenges in ways that they can't themselves. You know, that's why they hire us. So that's a second advantage. I think third is um, we have a much, we have a very, very strong culture um, that is continually pushing to make a better human-centered work um, team, as well as better human-centered software. So all of those things are really concrete advantages for us. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. One of the big issues of 2022 is the... The, the just the, the the craziness in the talent markets at the moment, particularly in technology, the shortage of of skills and just the the sheer competition that employers have to find the the talent that they need for their their business. What are you seeing in markets at the moment, and what is it that you do to make sure that you have the skills and talent that you need? I concur with everything you said. Uh, as a technology company, it is particularly volatile. Um, there are certain positions where um, when we look at uh, different salary ranges, for example, when we're trying to map those and we do that quarterly, we will get data one quarter saying one thing, the next quarter says something completely different. And in between, uh, we find out when we're trying to hire people that we are off by you know, $10,000, $20,000. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm sure anybody listening kind of is nodding their head. Um so how do we deal with that? I think the first of it is, is we are redoubling our efforts to make sure that we are trying to keep on top of the market, not just from um, uh, 
you know, paid sources, but through a lot of conversation in um, more private networks and just seeing what the market is saying. I think the second, and this gets to back to culture, um, we have to be clear on what are the things that we that are attracting people to our company. If it's just salary, that's not enough. It's what kind of work environment, what quality of work, what is the quality of my um, of my team? Is this something where my colleagues are engaged or are they distant? Um, what kind of benefits, obviously, is a is a is a clear one, um, and does it have and does it does our company live by our values? Do we have a larger purpose? And I think those are the types of things that any company can really take a look at and say, hmm, what are the other things that are core to us, despite the changes in the pandemic, that we can, quote unquote, sell to a new employee or recruit an employee. Obviously, as you say, sal- salary isn't the most important thing. But but obviously, with the salary inflation that's out there and also the, the, the move towards salary transparency in lots of different d- directions, what, what does salary transparency mean within your organization? Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, so we decided to make our salaries transparent um, also to solve a problem. And the problem was, how do we make sure that men and women uh, of, across ethnicities and across background are being paid the same for the same work? Uh, I think it's still about 70% um, women to men. It might be a little nudging higher, but it's from agent, uh, some uh, industries it's much worse, some better. Uh, the same is true for um, ethnic diversity. So one of the things that we noticed when we did a lot of research is back in 2017 is that even well-meaning companies can have very different outcomes when it comes to salary. Let's say you enable somebody to negotiate 5% um, higher than the person that came before them, even though they're doing the same work. They could be equally great performers and get a bonus or get an increase of 5% each year, that diverges over time. So you could have a massive divergence in salary, even though it's being treated fairly. Each person is being treated fairly. So what we decided to do was say, let's make it transparent. It took us 10 months. We worked with our organization. We did a ton of research. Um, and then we announced it and, um, it got really no controversy, mostly because people were engaged in the process and it's had incredible benefits. One, it's really clear what to expect. And for some people it doesn't work, but for employees who really appreciate transparency, this is a very strong statement and they can expect that it's true for other parts of the org. The second is that if we get off a little bit, we can correct it. So we look at this, um, if not monthly, quarterly. So if there's any divergence, we can fix it. Um, and I think the third is as unexpected benefits because we can model our work better because we know what the salaries are. So you put together a team, we know what people's salaries are, you know what the costs are. I mean, all these sorts of things are accruing because uh, we decided to make salaries transparent. Um, yeah, so that's that's a big one. And I think, frankly... 
in a hybrid environment, I think one of the competitive advantages that might shake out is uh, we also pay San Francisco salaries. So we say, we anchor on, it doesn't matter where you live, what value you bring is the core of why we want to hire you. And so we will pay you anchored on San Francisco. That is not, well, there are companies that do that and there are companies who pay regionally. Um, that can make some really big advantages for someone who lives in a low cost of living area. So we think that's actually uh, something we will continue to do. What's really interesting talking to you is because you've uh, been running a company remotely for, for 10 years and, and dealing with a lot of these challenges from diversity to, to salary difference and, and all those kind of things, it really strikes me that a lot of employers are facing all of these problems all at the same time yes, they are. Um, <laughs> you know, right now because because everything has, has kind of changed. And I suppose my question is about change. It's kind of pretty clear from the, the people that I'm talking to on the podcast that, that you know, these these aren't short term fads. This is long term change for, for for employment, for for work, for for organisations. What do you think the future looks like? What is it that that's changing? And for other employers listening, what is it that they've they've really got to kind of stand up to and address? Great question, and something I think about a lot. Um, so I think in terms of perspective, I should just remind the, the listeners. So I come from a leader perspective, a CEO perspective. And so I'm trying to take into account a variety of different forces that are happening right now. Um, and in fact, I decided to write a book um, called Move to the Edge, Declare It Center, because I wanted to explore how leaders need to make decisions under uncertainty and complexity. And I think uncertainty and complexity are like the watchwords for this era that we're in. Previously, if you're a CEO, you're a leader, often you had very clear problems that you're expected to solve, but those solutions were known. Could you execute on those? Now, and this was something I observed in the middle of 2020, in response to forest fires, in response to uh, George Floyd's um, uh, murder and the worldwide uh, protests, as well as the pandemic, many leaders were faced for the first time with not knowing the answer. The reason I wrote the book is to say not knowing the answer is actually the first step to being creative and to moving forward and to thinking differently about a different set of problems, complex problems. I think uh, Ira Wolf talked about it uh, in one of the podcasts uh, recently. The thing is that what we're seeing, it's hard to predict what we're seeing, but what we can do is think differently about the things that we're seeing. So how do you make decisions under complexity? How can you learn? That's part one, move to the edge. Declare it center is about how do you create systems to sustain your work because one of the aspects that we've seen during this is burnout. If you're trying to rely on heroism, then you're going to burn out. And as a leader of a company, if you are saying, in my opinion, if you're saying, oh, we're just going to deal with this, we're just going to buckle down, we're going to you know, uh, uh, redouble our efforts and really toil through this, you're going to burn out your folks, uh, if not yourself. 
Instead, I think thinking differently about how to deal with an uncertain situation is much more effective and much more sustainable over time. What's the one thing that surprised you most in the last in the last two years? Two things. One is the willing that people are more willing to um, deny what's actually happening to their employees than to engage and even reach into what they may know as potential solutions. So for example, the recent going back to school for, uh, for kids, we have an Omicron spike happening right now in the West Coast. And people, uh, some folks are saying, oh, let's just go back to work or let's just put the kids in the school. And the likelihood that that isn't going to increase um, transmission of the virus is minimal, yet it's as if this isn't, this isn't something that people want to deal with. So um, that surprised me, um, especially when there's opportunity to come up with different solutions. I think the second thing I'd say is, as a leader, one of the things that uh, I'm surprised by is how much people bring in from their old organizations, and even that they're in a new context, that history actually matters. So, for example, when you say to folks, hey, we really want you to anchor on 40 hours a week, or if you have to go over, make sure to take some surge time. Surge time being like take a half a day off or whatever after the after the big push. And how many people you have to encourage people to say, we want you to take care of yourself. We want you to be here for a long time, not just push through and burn out. And I know for myself, I have to do even more uh, of a job of doing that, but it's surprising me how much that lingers. So um, we keep trying and I keep trying to put that message out. As a closing question, what does the future look like fit for you, for your organization, for, for work? If we were having this conversation again in, in, in two years time, what would we be talking about? Mm, I love that question. Um, well, we would be talking about for my, for myself and my company, how we've scaled to probably about 200 people. We've gone through the challenging part of, the organization, which goes from sort of a through a teen awkward teenage state, I think we're talking about a new generation of thinkers and uh, problem solvers who have engaged in new solutions to uncertainty and and new certain um, new ways to think about problems. I think from a perspective of talent, we're probably talking about how. Um, how it's settled between in-office, hybrid, and remote. And there's a much greater percentage of the latter two than we predicted at the beginning of this pandemic. And finally, related, is how that affects global um, workforces. Um, Because I, I was just in Mexico, for example, for Dia de los Muertos in Oaxaca, and the number of people I met who were digital nomads of all different ethnicities really surprised me. And so I asked them, and they were from finance, they were from design, they were from engineering, they were from, they were from a variety of different industries, but they were living in different places. 
from Colombia to New York to Taiwan to Mexico. And I thought, this is very different. This is very different. And I think that's something that we're going to see more of and, and we're going to have to figure out uh, what that's going to look like in two years. And as a final question, where can people find you and where can they find your book? So Trust is at trust.works. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Everett Harper. I'm on LinkedIn as Everett Harper. Um, those are two sort of best professional places to, to find me. And as far as the book, um, it is out for pre-order now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the different places. And it will be available on March 22nd. So pre-orders are available. Uh, check it out. Um, it actually helps a lot. And I really appreciate you, Matt, uh, for asking. Everett, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. And um, uh, have a great start of your year. My thanks to Everett. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. <laughs>